old walls shook our thunder since ages ago. There is only victory in the war drums, triumphant speech. You just heard after a releasing death. That's not proper English, but we'll go with it. This is uh, off the Via Doloroso album from Ophthalmia, which is probably being pronounced wrong as well. I think that's right. Is it? Yeah. There's lots of H's in there, so I'm not yeah, sure. But this is the the Requiem Metal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. Yeah, and uh, 
Yeah, Afalamia. I've I probably in the last uh, five days I've misspelled Afalamia like sixteen million times. Um, I forget the first H. I just always kept spelling it O P T H, and then well, then Google suggests do you mean like the whatever the eye condition is? That's it's the very con- conjunctivitis of the eye or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's something that you get when like your uh, a baby gets from its mother when it's like oh, it's like pink eye then. It's like pink eye, but it's like when you're emerging from the womb, you pick up like the bacteria from the mom. Oh, oh really? Yeah. It's pretty nasty, which is that's really supposed to be like the, like really good bacteria though, I, for like building immune system. That's right? what I would think. So it's, it must be like a rarity of some sort or something that just doesn't, doesn't work out so well for the baby. So I think a lot of bands might've been called different stuff. If the internet would existed back in the nineties, <laughs> unless they were going for like a, a carcass kind of shock value kind of thing, True, you know, but yeah, this is a, an interesting interesting band as you could hear from after releasing death and we'll we'll talk more probably about that song when we get to uh you know via dolorosa the the record itself i thought that was kind of a nice one to um to kind of you know kick the show off with because you you get sort of some of the really interesting kind of what makes Afalamia really unique and I, there's really no way to kind of like set these guys up because they are they're just different than almost any other band. Even when I was buying records in this era in the mid nineties and late nineties, when I first met you and Chris, like, Mm -hmm. you know, encountering the, the Via Dolorosa record, um, just everything from the album cover to just like, you know, the decisions that they made as musicians are really weird because there's, there's catchy elements that you hear. Like in that last song, you kind of hear like some older catatonia riffing a little bit of like a bath immortal riffing even sort of built into that um there's like parts where it goes like super triumphant like new wave of british heavy metal and then there's like these psychedelic like finish kind there's of weird, uh, like convulse riffs and yeah stuff. The, the band afflicted had a very specific guitar tone which yeah. this reminds me of a lot but it's really They're swedish too right yeah yeah yep. it's like a noodly weird i don't even know how to necessarily describe the guitar tone it sounds like it's slightly detuned like a drop, like a drop D, but then also like off, like it's kind of out of tune a little. Everything's bit. off about Afalamia. It's bizarre, but it, it, they all fit into that same weird thing of like you know, pantheimonium, um, afflict. But we were talking about this off mic a little bit that it has the sound of a like a Finnish band more for sure. That's like what I'm the saying. Guitar tone, that that psychedelic Middle Eastern kind yeah. of thing that you heard moments of amorphous you heard it a little bit in zizma uh mm-hmm. for sure you know a lot of that even demolich a little bit yeah, has, has some, the same some aspects of that too. so you know but afalamia is this kind of bizarre sort of super group i guess um and they they kind of morph through the years in terms of what members kind of come in and out in retrospect the they're a super group yeah i guess you know uh maybe at at the point that their debut comes out maybe not so much yeah. um you know, so I guess to unpack it, it really sort of centers around um, Abruptum and It. Um, Abruptum, I believe, was what, a two-piece? All and It? Yeah. The two guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they're kind of there in the beginning. Um, you know, if you look back to sort of Afalamia, uh, they put out two demos, one in 1991 and one in 1992. And the first demo was called A Long Journey. Um, and the second demo, demo was called Journey to Darkness, which those will both come up years later as mm-hmm. album titles and things like that. And the demos were built around four guys, um, all from Abruptum on vocals. It, who is the guitar player, um, and I think the primary songwriter, if I look at the sort of common stream through all of Afalamia's careers, it's pretty much It. You know, yeah, he's, he's, who's he's, uh, Tony Serka? 
Yeah, Tony Sarka. Two two umlauts over the A's and two K's. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into his his perception of like where he came up with this in a second. But basically, what you got on these two cassette demos is those two characters. Then you had on drums uh, Winter, who was Benny Larson from Edge of Sanity and the aforementioned Panthimonium. And then originally you had uh, a bass player named Morning. Um, and it was Robert and he actually, this is where the other Panthemonium connection comes in. He mm-hmm. was the guy that played rhythm guitar for Panthemonium, but, okay. but he's not there. I believe, um, no, he's there on uh, a journey in, uh, in darkness. So he's on the very first full length record from him. So you had two guys that eventually end up in Panthemonium, one guy from edge of sanity, and then the two guys that made up abrupt him. Yep. And all's uh, real name is Jim Berger. Jim Berger, yeah. <laughs> uh, not like the the hamburger. It's more of a uh, yeah. B E R G. Um, it is interesting though. They had they might have been the first band that kind of had this bizarro naming convention. It wasn't this like satanic thing. Yeah, it was just this. Uh, and I never drew any connections to like Stephen King's It mm-hmm. to them at all. But I don't know where that name came from. But It and All just sound. It sounds like real, like primordial, yeah. kind of interesting shit. Which you know, you you said you've been you kind of pulled out some abruptum stuff. Um, I haven't really listened to it in for a while. I think when I was putting together the history heavy metal countdown, I, I, I kind of approached some abruptum stuff, but it's it's, it's different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not gonna say I'm a, an expert or even really that super knowledgeable about the band. I've got Evil Genius, the Southern Lord reissue that came out like '07. I was making steaks last night listening to that, and I forgot <laughs> I had it on. I was like, it got real quiet, and then just like weird. You know, electronic y something. Just disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah. We're it, eating dinner. I was like, what the fuck is going on outside? I was like, oh, I left the abrupt. I left abrupt them on. on. Yeah. Yeah. That's not exactly like relaxing dinner music. No, it's, it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. That's true. It is, it is pretty romantic. There, there, yeah, I was kind of talking to Mark when we, when I first kind of arrived at his house, we were recording and we, were, I was kind of saying what's, what's interesting about abruptum is they're, they're interesting sort of intellectually um, from a, like an art sort of standpoint um as like a noise kind of piece or i think in what i've read and mark's gonna make reference to the book uh, a little bit later too but you know bloodfire death was one of the places uh we we sort of searched for a little bit of uh, background knowledge and you know the parts i was reading about its perspective on on things is he just sort of wanted to make like not necessarily the most unlistenable music but like this just the most like misanthropic uh like just depressing evil like unmelodic i just he was kind of going for like that kitchen sink approach you know um which is interesting it's not something i spend a lot of time like wanting to listen to you know it's like in the context of the scene it's pretty i mean because you know you had mayhem and you know a handful of other bands at that time but it was always a one-upsmanship yeah thing and they never seemed to be as at least as blatantly satanic but they were more blatantly just evil yeah you know this uh which is ironic because it's the guy that's going to form the the Swedish true Satanist horde thing that yeah. that John Nidvide and um I, I think a lot of the the Swedish Holy black dudes, a lot of the guys from Morgan from Marduk yeah. uh, was sort of part of um and they were the rival to what was the Norwegian one that there's the misanthropic uh, Luciferian order no that's the one that Nidvide that's that's who joined later but yeah. there was the one that um Euronymous uh and uh Burzum and all those guys sort of formed no, I mean, the I true know. Norwegian something. I don't know. We'll something. have to look it there up. There are a bunch but. of teenagers that were making clubs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just just weird time. What's your take? Is you had kind of a well, kind I, of a hot take on this? I it was just uh, and, and you know being a similar type of you know kid. Um, you know, all these kids grew up in you know fairly affluent you know at least middle class 
you know, pretty comfortable backgrounds in suburban areas. Mm-hmm. And they're all these sensitive young men, you know, trying to kind of create these like sensitive young men that are spend more time in their heads than in the outer world. And I think making all this stuff like reinforced all these like bad. Yeah. Uh, well, at least I, I see them as, or at least destructive kind of habits. I knew a lot of people that in the, or a handful of people in the nineties and that were really into black metal that used that as a, basically a thing to reinforce their bad behavior and their misanthropic attitudes toward people. And I always found it kind of yeah, like, really, this is how you feel. But when you're 14 years old and you've got, you're surrounded by this group, that's kind of like a, like everybody should have done like some kind of monster thing at this, like if any, how many of these guys are left alive, but yeah, like how psychologically scarring this stuff probably was, but it also just reinforced the worst parts of everything. But we got a lot of great music out of it. That's true. That's like the, the one upside to the thing. And I, intellectually it's hard to see a guy like Nodvite who is an incredibly charismatic guy mm-hmm. seems very intelligent great musician to go down this really self-destructive path because of I mean that know. interview in Bloodfire Death that final interview is like yeah. fucking crazy yeah I mean it's like it, he's just he has his mindset on like what he wants to do and there's no way of talking him out of yeah. suicide and all the, the kind of other stuff that he was doing and it's weird because you look at him, and like you said, he's, he's part of a successful band. He seems like a particularly, like I guess, uh, you know, in a in a uh, in a heterosexual way, like he's he's a good looking dude. Like he's yeah. not like some, you know, like he seems like he probably could. I don't know. It just seems strange, and, and I don't know what if it was all mental stuff that was kind of going on for him, or like you said, sort of you know childhood sort of things. Yeah, I know it talked about having a pretty particularly like kind of rough childhood uh, around a lot of like violence and drinking and things like that. Yeah, and he said what was interesting about a lot of the other guys that started joining up with the Swedish true Satanist horde is most of them, like you said, came from like middle class, like affluence and they didn't really have any problems in their lives. And they were almost like looking to sort of create misanthropy or, or Or just you're you're drawn to it because you didn't understand it either. Yeah, it's true. Like the, on the surface, it seems interesting, but if you really get to the, the heart of chaos, it's fucking terrible. Nobody really wants that. But yeah, as a kid who grew up in like a, you know, middle class city, Mm -hmm. I was drawn to horror movies uh, violent video game, like all that stuff. It didn't bring that out in me. At yeah. All. But it, I was definitely drawn to all that stuff. Anything like the, those books on the occult that they used to have in the library when I was a kid, the illustrated encyclopedia, of the occult, all that kind of stuff was way more in, in growing up Catholic. Yeah. Which a lot of Sweden was, I don't know if it was they're Protestant, Protestant, yeah, they're but pretty, a very religious yeah, you know, yeah. based culture or was, I, I don't know. Um, you know, is it the, uh, the allure of the danger perhaps, or cause I, cause I it's guess control I, danger too, though. Cause yeah. you don't, if you want to see what like it feels like to be scared, you don't go into a motorcycle club and start a fight with somebody. Yeah, that's true. You you know you try a roller coaster, you you know swing yeah. on a road, like just the, you know you. We all sort of push our bit. limits, and, and some people. And then you start watching different. you know faces of death videos. Then you start getting weirded out. Then you see what you can do worse, and then yeah. do acid and watch you know faces sure. of death videos. Like well, I know that like, was our track. <laughs> I know for us it was it was kind of like you know pushing limits and things like that. You know you looked at um, you know the first time we saw the morbid angel god of emptiness video we felt uncomfortable like we were like you know i remember hearing rain and blood the first time and the first time you know alters of sacrifice came on and he said enter the realm of satan and i just remember feeling like i almost felt like maybe we should shut this off yeah like but, you, but you're but still I, in control but i want it more i wanted to see where this was all gonna kind yeah. of go and stuff and 
you know, I mean, that's part of like the, I think teenager psychology, you know, I spend a lot of time around teenagers coaching and teaching and uh, they are, they're always trying to sort of push uh, their boundaries and, and exercise, um, you know, just sort of who they are on some level, you know, whether it's, you know, sexual or, or experimentation with drinking and drugs and things like that. And, you know, you get some students that, um, especially you see this a lot with like um, really kind of OCD girls um, mm-hmm. who are kind of perfectionists. They're often the ones that are like secretly like cutting. Yeah. Um, almost because it's like you said, it's, it's a controlled chaos. Mm-hmm. Like they can control it. And it's almost like a, a hidden imperfection that they can kind of like obsess over or, it's weird. I don't understand all of that because I, I myself have never, you know, kind of entered into those realms. But certainly, yeah, it's, it's I, yeah, a real thing. The cutting thing, thing I, I never, I never understood. But it was a huge. I mean, I've dated many people that yeah, did that. I never it, knew about it until weird, after the fact. I don't know if it's like, uh, <laughs> like a pipeline to like S and M almost, like this sort of like controlled pain. Like it's a little bit painful, and it, it kind of like gets you out of like there's the no comfort sex, zone. Yeah, there's no, there's no sex to it. Yeah, but I'm just usually. saying it's like that. Like S and M, I guess yeah, is obviously attached to sexuality in some level, but but in a way, it's almost like giving up some level of like control, you know, like that's what's so, I mean, you get an endorphin rush from it, just like yeah. anything else, you know. It's uh, yeah, it's a weird like, especially in that in the Blood for Death book, um, Nicholas, the the main guy from uh, the band Shining. Okay, yeah, he had a. And it, I mean, Dead did the same thing. Uh, it used to cut himself under his eyes. Okay. Like, and uh, there was a thing like where Nodvite was talking about him and like Morgan from Marduk and a couple other guys were at parties and um, they were all just like fascinated with it cutting himself under his eyes, like like yeah. how he how he knew how to go just the right amount and it's like wrestlers. Just wrestlers this weird know they call self harm thing. Yeah, yeah, but that there's like a dramatic. Well, I guess there's a dramatic aspect for these guys too. Yeah. If they're doing it in front of each for other. For them, it's like. Yeah, well, it's presentation. Just yeah. my my notebook, but um, the you know like the the people like I remember reading like Bret Hart's book about blading and just the technique, and you have to know exactly what you're doing, or else you're gonna like fuck yourself up or fuck somebody else up. And there are go these, too deep. Yeah, there's these really famous situations where wrestlers have, have definitely like cut too deep or or whatever. Um, there was a not to get on this tangent, but there was a really, really kind of notorious um, wrestling company that sort of started up in the mid nineties called ECW uh, mm-hmm. extreme wrestling. Um, yeah. And they pulled a fan out uh, and they did like cutting on him and they cut too deep and he damn near bled out. There's like YouTube videos on it. It's like really uncomfortable to watch. And like, it was all part of this like kind of manic chaos that was happening, like in living in the moment to pull like a, like a, I think he was like 18 or something like that, like a fan of all of it. And he wanted to like get into it and be part of the experience. And like, he had somebody blade him, and it was, yeah, I'm weird with blood. So like that stuff just takes me down like a path that's uncomfortable. Well, the Aronofsky movie, the wrestler shows that like pretty, like technique, pretty, pretty, uh, yeah, viscerally too. You take kind of like a razor blade and you, you kind of break a piece off of it. And then they usually just kind of hide it, uh, behind their lip and then spit it out and then kind of just, you know, and it's such a small piece that it only yeah, goes. But like, that limits how deep you can really go with the thing. And if you look like the the old school wrestlers, uh, you know, you look at like Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair, their foreheads just scar tissue. It's just yeah. nasty stuff. Yeah. yeah, indeed. But yeah, so all these guys, they're you know whatever it is, the psychology of the escape or, or whatever. What's interesting about Afalamia is this is sort of a fantasy world that essentially was created by it, and he um, almost creates could. Would it be fair to say, like, um, 
kind of a quasi half ass like kind of want to be like Tolkien universe is, is maybe where he's going or you said D and D D and D's. It feels very D and D there. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot. I mean, I haven't read all the lyrics, so I can't, I'm not going to say I, I can tell much, but as far as just the, the, the broad overview of the thing, it's more like a world building thing than about yeah. a specific story of a protagonist or anything. Yeah. It's like a, a place to escape to almost. And like you, you were kind of talking about these guys all sort of, you know, created these landscapes of darkness, whether it was creating these like groups or doing these different things to sort of give them, um, whatever. Uh, well, Tom G. Warrior maybe did the yeah. same thing with uh, Celtic frost and Hellhammer. Yeah. It was a different type of, it wasn't necessarily, it was a, it was more of a sonic kind of world. There wasn't as much, the world building aspect, but he, you know, had a terrible upbringing as That's well. True. Kind of, I, th- I mean, I think just I at mean, that it's almost age, like personality disorder, right? Sometimes schizophrenia can, or, yeah. or some of that stuff can be caused from like, tr- you know, like trauma almost yeah. like where you, you, you know, I don't know. You the, figure all out the how to cope with but, the stuff. And I mean, yeah, the, the older I get, the more I'm fascinated by all this, like the psychology and, yeah. you know, your brain is such everything. a weird, I mean, it can do so many weird, <laughs> fucked up things. For it can do so many awful, positive, negative. Yeah, it's yeah, just, just it's, it's, it's nuts. So, so basically, what it was is um, the, this world of Afalamia, as it's known, had a goddess uh, named Alicia, and she was sort of uh, a woman with the demons. She was kind of like a, a demoness type creature, and you see her represented in some of Afalamia's artwork and things like that. And she sort of helped create the surroundings. So it's almost like a, a world created by like an evil demon-like kind of creature. Um, and the world and some of the song references and, and lyrical references, you, you see like things like the shores of uh, Katunu, uh, the seas of Ragith Neeb, uh, mountains of uh, Makubu Keen. Um, there's even creatures alluded to, its own language of Afalamia. So it's it's just, just this weird kind of, uh, I, you know, to me that's kind of interesting. I'm not saying like I you know, like would want to like entertain in that world. But being a guy that played role-playing games, I think there is uh, something kind of cool about the, the escape into whether it's, you know, fantasy worlds or fantasy novels or sure. um, video game worlds, you know, for the people that really get into, especially like the final fantasies or the Zeldas or those kind of things. Um, you know, I get getting lost in that as long as you can kind of pull yourself out of the fantasy at a certain point, you yeah. know, Nowadays, you're seeing like, you know, you see a lot of the, the kind of cosplay and, and things like that, which is fun. But I always kind of wonder, like, at what stage, like, like, where does that boundary sort of exist? Do those people do all those people? Are they able to sort of interact with the like normal public? Or are they almost too trapped in sort that's, of their fantasy worlds? That's the problem with a lot of this is that fantasy mo- or fantasy films, all of it used to be an escape from like you were you were so into the, you know, involved with the the actual outside real world that you needed an escape from it. Now there is no interaction with the outside world or not, or very little. Yeah. And you can have these, you know, look at the game of Thrones fan community. There's people that make living off just doing reaction videos to a fucking teaser trailer. Yeah. And stuff. And it's like, you could just stay in this little world and you don't have to interact. That's when it becomes a problem. I think it just becomes like a lack of maturity thing too. Sure. Right? Like you don't have, you don't have responsibility. You know, it's hard to find a job. You don't have to move out of your parents. house. Like there's never, uh, there's never these like kind of rite of passage maturity things you have to deal with. And you could just totally retreat into that. Sure. I'm not saying that's what these guys did, but no, but it can be, a, that's a, it, it's a fine a line, yeah. you know, fine line. And, and clearly some of these guys associate with Afalamia had, uh, you know, some type of personality disorders where they eventually, you know, did acts of, of violence or acts of suicide or, or whatever. You know, yeah. I'm not saying all the guys, I'm sure some of them were just like along for the ride and, 
I think the vision itself was more like it and, and some of those kind of people. You know, John pushed but, it a little. I mean, he basically pushed out the the whole uh, all of dissection. Yeah, Svetlut and Palmdale and Oli Oman all left because of he was just like he was too militant about the whole thing. Yeah, it kind of got crazy. Yeah, and that we I think we talked about that in the the Rinkos episode that yeah. we did, you know, and stuff. But from a musical standpoint, what's what's so fascinating about like these guys is they get signed by Avant Garde Records, and Avant Garde is a, a label. Um, they're one of those sort of, um, I don't know, like a curio label, like something like you kind of look at the way peaceful used to be looked at or, um, maybe earache in the late eighties, you know, where, you know, everything that came out war was like a label like that for a while, like in the mid nineties where, you know, a lot of the stuff that came out in avant-garde was just, um, interesting enough that it was worth maybe buying like kind of on a whim you know no fashion house of kicks it was like just yeah the, the rep- spike farm reputation you know? based off you know just their name you'd check it out you yeah. know, didn't hear anything about the band i'll check out i don't know if nightfall was on avant-garde or not they, they might have been they might have been too. osmos or holy records they might have been holy records that that greek label that put out yeah, like uh on thorns i lay and, and some of that kind of stuff there's um, like a year or two where a lot of those labels are putting out great stuff and then it just became a glut yeah, like, I think like oh. 96, 97, it started kind of glutting like yeah. a little bit. Um, you know, but from a sound standpoint, you you get all these guys together and they they record their their debut record, which is uh a re- it's called A Journey in Darkness and it comes out in 1994. Um it's going to be produced in Unisound Rec uh Studios from Swano. And so again, you've got the Panthemonium connection, you've got Swano. So you've got a lot of the the big, you know, kind of Swano's like at the center of a lot of the weird stuff that kind of happens in yeah. Swedish metal, you know, from Edge of Sanity to all the different side projects he did from recording, you know, Catatonia records and early Opeth records. And like there was just he had his hand in a lot of really interesting cookie jars as well as being like a mu- musician dissection. He had a huge yeah. part in that. Um you know, and he even does guest guitar and guest vocals on A Journey in Darkness, too, which mm-hmm. he kind of did for a lot of the acts that he was kind of recording. I think he was probably given a little bit more respect, just purely given his, uh, like, recording. Yeah. Chops like, oh, we know Dan, he can record us. Yeah, plus like, his own band was legit at that point, you yeah. know, where he's a guy you trust because you, you know that, A, he knows what he's doing, and B, he's sort of part of the spirit of, of that kind of metal. And he's into, yeah, he's got a great, like, uh, very open idea yeah. about what music he's got pretty be. pretty awesome palette you yeah. know um i remember reading an interview that like and you kind of st- you can kind of hear it especially in like some of the later afalamia maybe um that he kind of introduced it to you know like a lot of german thrash and and just different things and and i'm sure you know it creating abruptum and being in this like world of misery and stuff like that this was sort of an interesting musical outlet for it to like do stuff that was more dynamic more musical more melodic you know it's it, almost the antithesis in some ways of some of what abruptum kind of stood for yeah it, what it reminds me of is that well, like the fantasy elements the like the some of the triumphant uh major chord type stuff as it just sounds like them trying to recreate like man or iron maiden or uh halloween or like sure. that type of the like power metal power metal kind of i thing. hear that a lot especially on dominion you know the, the yeah. last record that they sort of did there's a lot of brightness to some of those like that, i think in um not necessarily in the in the sound but the whole overall thing of the fantasy world yeah brought, that's it's got true. a very like power metal for sure yeah um kind of not like an aesthetic not necessarily the sound it's definitely the I get a bunch of weird people like like Rhapsody would do stuff like that where they almost had like a thematic kind of element to some of their or you know Blind Guardian all these guys like that's like a power metal trope but they kind of use that but really kind of turned it on its head for yeah 
And I think the one thing it's interesting you bring up power metal because from a musical standpoint, especially their first two records, it's like uh, there's a candle mass Black Sabbath like doom aspect to like everything that they're sort of doing. It's like a doom gloom, even though some of the riffs are like bright. It has, you know, I mean, candle masses, even though they're doom, is still very like melodic and musical in certain Mm -hmm. ways, you know, like those riffs and solos and things bubble in the the air in Sweden. Yeah, it's just sort of natural. Like Melodies even like there. even like Europe, you know, you listen to some of those early Europe records, and there's like it's impossible to sort of escape some of those kind of melodic kind of qualities. But but I think like you know, then you mix that with like black metal, and then you sort of like cross it with like a kind of a healthy level of like weirdness. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's just I don't know, like what when you and Chris first kind of discovered uh, uh, these guys, is there was there any kind of like weird thoughts, or were they just sort of part of the the general landscape of man there's just a lot of weird stuff that's coming out of sweden norway and finland um, at least the, the first record i nothing really jumped out tremendously like there was so much more coming out that time that was more polished and sure um i didn't give it really a whole lot of i didn't give it really a second thought back yeah. in the day until via doloroso came out and that seemed to be it was it was easier to penetrate yeah i think it seemed like it was a more cohesive idea even though everything. technically it's more progressive, which is weird, it, is. it has a lot more like prog kind of elements to yeah. it, which we'll, we'll talk but it about. It still has the weird like noodliness like that, and like um, even like Sentence Shadows from the Past we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And um, Therion uh, of Darkness has the same like weird, like naive guitar approach, but it's. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know because there's very few interviews with, um, with it. Like I don't know what the process was if he was like recording riffs on tape and then yeah. like they're workshopping stuff. It's a weird thing. So it seems like the how with how bizarre the guitar like riffs are that it's probably mostly all him just coming up with these riffs mm-hmm. and then they try to make sense about it. You know, as a band later on. Yeah, because I, I mean, some of them almost sound like backwards ideas of riffs or something yeah. like that. It's like almost the Svensson thing where they you know record. Yeah, back. same with uh like Ken Owen would would do from carcass would come up with a weird riff and then yep. Bill would try to even play it. Yep. I remember reading about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I mean, that's, that's the, the interesting stuff, like, which I don't, I don't know how, you know, prevalent that stuff is anymore. Like how can you deconstruct riffs and do something different and weird like sure. now as a, especially when you're, you know, in your thirties and forties trying to do that kind of, stuff. I don't think it, you can really do it anymore. Yeah. I don't it's, know. Like, it's something of the young, only young people can really tap into that. So, Basically, in this this first set of uh, Journey in Darkness, um, I think it's easier maybe just kind of talk about a few like things I'm I'm kind of able to kind of pull out of the songs because Afalami is kind of like hard to kind of like collectively construct because every song is doing something like bizarre and weird. So like the song we're going to kind of start with, um, and their their song titles are absurd, and usually there's like multiple movements or multiple parts within the same song. They're set up like classical songs. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It's it's very strange. Uh, which again is interesting. You know, that's the thing about Afalamia. Like even, and I think you kind of maybe mentioned it, but I, I know this is something you've brought up in a lot of podcasts before. Afalamia to me seems like a band that is operating at the peak of their sort of creative endeavors and are probably a little bit out of their element. And I think it's they're like at the edge of their they're at the very edge yeah. of their ability with a lot of their ideas. And I think, like you said, it maybe doesn't know why he's doing and constructing some of the riffs or tacking this part to this part. Yeah. And that's kind of endearing to me the older I get because it's a record I can kind of go back to these these three records and 
every time I listen to it, I can kind of pull something new out of it because like, I don't know, I didn't wrap my head around it the first time I heard it or something, you know, whereas some records like you exhaust them and you've reached their potential. I think what's, what's kind of cool about Afalami and the reason that a band like this kind of excites me, the, like the older I get is because of that fact. Yeah. You know, like, and there's not that many of those bands really yeah. that were, that had a, a good solid career and had such a like fleshed out idea of what the band was for sure for sure you know so the the first song we're going to kind of play is called castle of no repair lies from a blackened heart and it starts with this like opening sort of psychedelic effect uh that's really cool um then it you know then you get this sort of oscillating kind of doom riff and then at like the minute 46 mark it's like if Candlemass and voyavod like decided to like write music together it's like such a weird you have this sort of like melodic Swedish doom quality mixed with sort of the way Voyavod constructed like Venom riffs. You know, yeah. like they, they did them, but they did them in like these tech death Venom riffs, you know, kind of especially those early Voyavod records, you know. Um, and, and I guess I, I'm guessing a lot of that has to do with Swano's presence, too. You know, Swano kind of adds like an extra little bit of weirdness to, to some of the proceedings. I think he was able to maybe conduct some of this in the studio and like patchwork some of the ideas together yeah. you know that that's my that would be my feeling you know um and then like at the end of the song like the last couple minutes you get this sort of brighter kind of folky ethereal mirror cathedral kind of stuff sort of starting to happen it's it's a very finished doom like convulsive go on to do a lot of these those riffs are just yeah like, very evident in that yeah stuff. the brightness and, and yeah. some of that kind of stuff um i was just listening to it on a walk with a dog and yeah it's like we're, we're, it just comes out of nowhere yeah you just like the, the <laughs> it, and that's the progressive element of it too which is is so counter to i guess if you're familiar with like abruptum like not that abruptum isn't progressive it, it's like progressive and it's like regression and deconstruction of music you yeah. know Whereas this is like kind of pushing like the Voyavod limits of, of certain things. There's so. a real like improvisation to this too. At least it seems, it reminds me of like a friend of mine, we used to play, uh, I'd, I'd be playing drums and he'd play guitar and we'd just play for an hour and a half mm-hmm. and just kind of do all these weird things, see, see what whatever happens. happened. And yeah. it'd go from like sounding like a Slayer riff to sounding like this bluesy, you know, yeah. down riff or whatever. And yeah. like it just all worked, but like, somehow they managed they, to they, focus all that and they something. patch it all together yeah. yeah then you get a song i want to play it because it's interesting um it's the only song that doesn't get put onto a re-recording of this album and it's a it's just a 50 second little piece uh that is exclusively john nodvite and it's called uh, a lonely soul hymn to a dream and they a few years later, four years later, they uh, go, and I couldn't find, I don't know if you were able to find, but I couldn't find it anywhere what studio they actually recorded in. My I assumption, didn't see any information. I don't my, have the actual My assumption album. was maybe Abyss Studios, which is where they do their last records, but but I don't know. So that's just a, an assumption. So if any of you know, let me know. Well, some of them, it just says like uh, Ophthalmia Studios. It could just be, they could have just done it on a four track yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I know that for whatever reason, and again, uh, I even went, reached out to, uh, Dial Patterson, who's done, um, some black metal books and, and things like that. And as a writer for Decibel, and I sort of asked, I said, do you have any cool information on Afalami or interviews or anything? And he said, actually, no, they're like the one band I can't really, you know, I don't have a lot about them. So they've kind of kept a lot of things mysterious, but anyways, they decide to re-record a journey in darkness years later, and it claims that he wanted that was his like uh, the way the record was supposed to sound. It, it definitely sounds a lot um, crunchier. It, it's a lot, little bit brighter, 
and they, I don't like the guitar tone as much. Yeah, like, it's, not it's, as weird. it's it's not as great uh, to me in terms of like what made a journey in darkness kind of special and unique. But they called it a long journey, and they put it out in Acropolis Records in 1998. And actually, the end of the set will play one song from it, and I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But like sonically, it bridges together later, it, like better with Dominion for sure. But I like the you know the the weirdness of the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, so but the one song they left off of a long journey is that uh, Lonely Soul kind of tune. Which um, they'd split with Nodvite at that. I mean, there was a kind of that schism yeah, there. So that's yeah, probably I think why. That, that probably had a lot to kind of do with it. But what's interesting is like a Lonely Soul, Him to a Dream kind of lays out like a lot of his like life philosophy too. You know, it's yeah. like kind of a weird, It's that's why I wanted to spotlight it because I think we don't have a lot more to ever really play from Nodvite. So if we can kind of ever, you know, put a little spotlight on him. Then we get one of, I guess, what I would say a quintessential Aphalamia uh, uh, song and it's called Little Child of Light, Degradation of Holiness. And you're going to see a lot more of these on uh, Via Dolorosa, these 10 minute songs that are just these like, prog rock kind of movements uh kind of morphing through some things you know so you get with this song it's like nine minutes and 54 seconds you get kind of it starts with a twisted like zizma convulse kind of riff that sort of meanders like serpentine style through like a lot of the oddities of the song the bass is really super prominent in this song you hear a lot of really good bass playing um then you get like some bathory meeting like trouble meeting candle mass riffs um there's even like like at certain points, like Hellenic riffs that you hear in like old Rotting Christ or old Verathrons, uh, mm-hmm. or you know, it's like got just a it's a it's not Swedish at certain points. Like it's Swedish, but then it's bringing in like these weird Mediterranean style black metal riffing that's warmer, more like analog, and yeah, you know. Um, then you have Oxa uh, singing at times, uh, and Oxa is Alexandra Balau. And she was its girlfriend, you said? Yeah, for I think long time girlfriend. Yeah, and then she's the one that actually plays some piano pieces on Dissection uh, mm-hmm. on Storm of Light Spain. You know, so she's kinda interesting. She kinda like her her voice kinda comes in as like kind of unsettling at times. You know, it's like yeah. like they're just throwing kitchen sink ideas into some stuff. Then you it's get like, like modern opera to some degree. Yeah, it's know? it's real Bizarre. weird. You get some off putting like Middle Eastern riffing patterns that sort of emerged in the midsection of this song. Uh, then like near the end of the song, it gets into this, like I wrote down sexy doom rock Sabbath riff that like, what the fuck happened? Sleaze in it and stuff. Yeah. Too. It's yeah. weird. And, and I guess a, a, a kind of a idea factory and I got to imagine Swano and, and some of these guys were, were definitely into these records, but a lot of the ideas that you hear on Aflamia are almost like half-baked ideas that you heard fully baked in like um, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, or like Sabotage. Mm-hmm. Those records are like progressive in a lot of ways. Like there's a lot of weird ideas kind of happening, and they they kind of like Tony Iommi and the, the band managed to like pull a lot of them off. You can make an argument that maybe with like Never Say Die and Technical Ec- Ecstasy, like some of the ideas don't always work as well as they Not did as much on those. cocaine. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but but like to me, Afalami is sort of drawing from that pool of like kitchen sink weird doom, but there's some technical progressive elements, but yet they're not like Sabbath were never like prog rock guys. They weren't Robert Fripp, you know. So sure. they're playing at like a different kind of ability they're really talented at what they do. And when they started to expand their palette after those like first three records, you started to hear it with volume four, you know, they're really pushing into some unique boundaries. And I think some traditional Sabbath fans were probably like, eh, I don't know how well, I feel about kind of keyboards. The ones I, I go back I to listen to more now because I just, 
I penetrated those first three, four records so deeply that... And that's kind of what I was saying before, where I said it's interesting when I go back to these Afalamias that there's like a deeper well here. You mm-hmm. know, not all the ideas work all the time, but like you're going to pull something unique out of every listening experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of cool. Um, so, and then we're going to end things with um, a song from The Long Journey, just so you can kind of hear uh, a kind of a musical comparison. And the song is called Myself and Dreaming, and it's the only song that they um, re- that they record it specifically for A Long Journey. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about A Long Journey when we come back. So, all right, this is going to be a mouthful. So, we got Castle of No Repair slash Lies from a Blackened Heart is the first tune. Then we have a short interlude, A Lonely Soul, Hymn to a Dream. Then the epic Little Child of Light, Degradation of Holiness. And then we end with Myself Dreaming. Of my black heart beat falls forevermore. 
fears of nothingness Never more pride A useless existence Cast to the outer side Searching since ages Find a clue To enter a state and joining what's true Lost and unable To break yourself out Ready to drift when no one hears shouts.
There was myself dreaming, little child of light, degradation of holiness, a lonely soul, him to a dream. And then we started things off with Castle of No Repair, Lies from My Blackened Heart. So real briefly, just that last song that you heard, the Myself Dreaming, um, I kind of mentioned uh, a long journey being sort of a re-recording of the debut. You had a new bassist uh, that debuted on that uh, named Mist. Uh, All is back on vocals on that recording. And then Oli Olman uh, is on drums. We'll Boom. Talk- What's that? Named Bone. Bone, yeah. And we'll uh, we'll talk about him when we get to Dominion a little bit more, but I just kind of wanted to mention that, that you know it's a lot of different people than what you heard on those A Journey in Darkness songs. Um, they changed the track order on uh, A Long Journey. They removed, like I said, A Lonely Soul. And as I said, according to it, it's the definitive version, um, but Mark and I both uh, prefer the original. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, the only thing is, I, the reason I picked that song is it's the only new song that they put on that record, and it's kind of interesting if you you know kind of listen to it. Um, it's it's very much kind of a taking some of the the, the Dawn Sacramentum d- dissection kind of riffery kind of stuff, and it's kind of a prototype for kind of the modern like Watain song uh, kind of sound that you hear. Sometimes you can hear it in that. A lot of yeah, um, I mean dissection. You can hear that. I mean that that was just in the air. Yeah, you could just the tremola sort of thing. Yeah, you know? the like black and death thing was like all over the place, but dissection really nailed it. I think yes. the best, but, yeah. but he, there's definitely like the roots of it. And you know, you can feel the ripples of it in Ophthalmia for sure, for sure. especially in dominion. But yeah. And I think that you, um, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about when I was driving here to get to Mark's is like, there's, there's this like almost like uh expectation that, you know, Mark is inevitably always going to be sort of drawn to the, the, the HM2 kind of pedal, and I'm always going to be drawn to, like, the Swedish tremolo riff. They're, like, sort of like our catnip, yeah. almost. You know, not to say that we both don't appreciate the other, but it's, like, that's, like, I'm almost predictable in, you know, like, whether it's <laughs> early Dark Tranquility or Nagofar or Dawn or all that shit's, like, well, just Nagofar catnip. Nagofar just reissued their, um, their first two demos on LP. Oh, no shit. I'd be interested to, Damn, to hear this. Yeah, see what yeah I have to get that. Speaking of, you know, Eucharist, you know, yeah. there's a lot of Eucharist, like, built, especially in Via Dolorosa, um, because Eucharist was, like, left of center. They were, like, the one Gothenburg band that, like, constructed really fucked up ideas sometimes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, they weren't as straightforward as At the Gates or Dark Tranquility or In Flames. And well, so, At the Gates didn't start out that way, but also the second, third wave of uh, bands, like, the musicianship keeps, I mean, that's the that can be the problem in modern music now is it's too good. Yeah. Like you guys, yeah, you're playing too good at 14 years old. You should have been like, like, I don't, I can't do that, but I can do this. And that's where the interesting shit usually comes. From, I agree. But. Yeah. I think, and that's where I think when, you know, we're about to start talking about Via Dolorosa, you know, there is this kind of magic to this record that, you know, as much good metal that comes out now and there's the, you know, I know Mark and I are kind of, um, you know, curmudgeon about some of that stuff, but there's still like, a decent amount of like good metal releases that are kind of happening. Um, I'm not as excited of, about them as much, but I can kind of like, if I was in my mid twenties, I think I'd be like, man, metal is definitely not dead. You know, there's like cool sure. shit sort of happening. It's just, I'm at a glut. I'm trying to go back and listen to like a lot of old historical stuff and re- fill in those roots. And that's just the maturity. thing. Yeah. Too, I just know? don't always have time for new shit, but I can say this, that I don't think there is a record like Via Dolorosa coming out. I don't think you're going to hear anything like that. You're going to hear Swedish tremola riffs. You're going to hear, you know, we talked about um, Ueda, you know, mm-hmm. on the on the the first patron show that we recorded. You know, you're going to hear that kind of stuff still continue to come out. But for my money, like this is one of those unique 
moments in time. And uh, this is a record as I was driving here, kind of listening to some more parts of like, I kind of want Wagner to do an episode on this because we don't have time to like figure out all the progressive roots of all the ideas and shit. Of this. Yeah, that's not really, our it's not like thing our thing, either. but I think like it would be a really interesting episode of the radical research podcast for them to just focus on this record and try and like make some sense of like, the storytelling aspects and you know things that like we don't have the patience for but yeah because <laughs> uh, it's a record that i can wrap my head around and i really love and appreciate but it's like there's just some ideas here that are um i don't know where they're coming from maybe and maybe wagner would have some insight in that i don't know but uh definitely when you get to this record it's a year later 1995 uh swano is uh back he i think he by this point he's really upped his production chops you know this record sounds a lot better Mm-hmm. than uh journey and darkness did in terms of the warmth uh the depth of the riffs and things like that it's i think just, uh, what's the year on this again 95 yeah because this i think he'd this might be like the third incarnation of unisound or something too okay because he kept upping i remember doing or reading interviews with him where they'd talk about like how they and, and this just happens with technology where everything was getting more affordable you get bigger decks you know you could go from yeah. eight to 16 tracks to 24 tracks and well, I think, too, 95 is a really interesting year for Unisound, too, because, and again, I might be off my math a little bit, but I think in, if you could you could draw a 12-month stretch, it might sort of start in late 94, perhaps, um, but you can draw this 12-month stretch where I believe Orchid came out of Unisound, Brave Murder Day came out of Unisound, mm-hmm. uh, Purgatory Afterglow came out of Unisound. Was that 95 or 96? That might be 96. No, Crimson's 96. So I think it would have been Purgatory Afterglow in 95. Yeah. yeah. Again, I, I'm just drawn from memory here. And then you get a record like this. So you get these records that are kind of challenging, mm-hmm. to say the least. Like they're not, like there's nothing traditional about what they're doing. In fact, you could argue, I hear a lot of Orchid on Via Dolorosa. Some of the the stop starts, some of the, 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 the changes that they do from going to this part to this part. Yeah. You know how on Orchid it's not seamless, but that's kind of the, the, the like, it's part of the charm. It's of part of the charm yeah. of it, right? It's like a demo, like kind of quality that these guys are just trying to piecemeal together 14 minute long songs. And when you get to like some of the more epic songs, I mean, my God, Mark, there's like four songs on this record that are 10 minutes long. Like, I mean, it's like, and every song has like six different movements to it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah the fuck were they trying to do like it's like they're really like it works well as a full album it's not it's hard to pull pull stuff out of it like i, I i've never just listened to like one song on it. yeah and i you know <laughs> I, I i can isolate because um the reason i picked the 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 you know we started with after uh, releasing death uh that kicked the whole show off is like there are moments in a song that like are get stuck in my head and mm-hmm. so like i go back to those songs because i'm like I want to get to the part where it does this, you know, like the little earworm, yeah, part. The, like yeah. the, the little earworm stuff. So, because you're right, to kind of think of the songs in totality is like weird because, like, you forget what happened at the beginning of the song by the time you get to like the seventh movement. You know, it's like meandering so much through so many different yeah. things. You know, um, but to sort of update you, uh, we get Legion on vocals from Marduk, um, and he had been with Marduk previous, correct? I believe so. I think he's left and come back a couple times. Okay, gotcha. I couldn't remember. He's on Those of the Unlight and... I think he's oh, on... I don't he on think Opus? he's doing vocals on Lord, uh, Those of the Unlight, though. Is he on Opus, though? I'm trying to remember. Or is it all... No, he's... I think he's post that. He's post that. So maybe Jesus, maybe he remember. goes from this to Marduk, then. I, I don't have my Marduk years. Heaven Show Gathered is not. Yeah, he goes from this, because I was reading something. I think it, was, it might have even been in the Bloodfire Death book. Uh-huh. 
that he was starting to lose members, you know, for certain things because they were like, he, yeah, he went to Marduk. Okay, I believe so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's on like. And then after he left Marduk, gathered and, and he's on like like maybe two of the new Witchery records or something. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot he was on that stuff. Um, but he does a good vocal performance on. Oh yeah, it's on this great. record, it's yeah. kind of more varied than what happened. Yeah, does on Marduk. there's a lot of really good like whispering sort of stuff, talk yeah. things. So he's he's using some variety. Um, in many ways, as I think I mentioned before, this album leans a lot more into the kind of progressive and psychedelic elements um, with the arrangements. Um, I think a lot of that is due to the um, the new rhythm section um, that is added into, uh, especially on bass, because the bass playing is incredible on this record. And it's uh, John's brother, Emil, mm-hmm. uh, I think is how you pronounce that, who goes by the, the no, uh, name Knight in this record. Yes. Um, and so the rhythm section is super tight. You get a rhythm section, obviously, with Benny, who's doing a lot of progressive elements with Edge of Sanity, with Panthemonium, you know, those uh, weird ideas that are starting to formulate. Uh, I think we're a year away from uh, the last Panthemonium record, the the Cahoos. And Confusion. Yeah, con- Cahoos and Confusion, which, I mean, that record's like a prog kind of like <laughs> nightmare in a cool way. Um, you know, the, the layout, yeah, yeah, I wanted to mention that before we get into the songs. Um, this is one of those records, like you look at the cover, you look at the the logo styling, um, you look at the the production inside, the way um, the fold out, the use of sort of gold, the illustrated band members. Um, Fred Fields does this illustration, and as an artist, I mean, I know you said it looks it, like a, I mean, it looks like a contemporary fantasy novel cover. Yeah, is it is it kind of coming out of like the heavy metal, um, the Franzetta, and, and some of that kind of stuff, or Joe Jusco? Yeah, the whole kind of like painted. I mean, at the time, this is almost kind of like a throwback cover. Okay. Really, I think. Because yeah. at this time, this is like Photoshop City. Everybody's using like merging photographs and yeah, painted covers true. were starting to be more of like a, well, not a novelty, but like people, it was easier and cheaper to go digital. So that's what people And that's what stood out doing. to me about this yeah. cover. It's kind of one of those things when you walk by in a record store and you see it, you're like, whoa. Like, what is this? You know? Yeah. It doesn't strike me as like, you know, being a, a group of black metal guys, you know? Sure. Um, at least three of them. At least three of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know whatever, uh, whatever you want to say about uh, Benny Larson, you know, as you say any stuff. Again, I think it was it, it, it's part of that craftsmanship of like avant garde. Um, you know, putting a little bit of extra effort into making this kind of look unique. Um, the lyrics are nuts. It's like reading um, Sabbath lyrics or something like that. You know, they just go on and on and on and on. Yeah, uh, and stuff like that. You know, um, it, it's it's a really it's it's a cool record, and I think. One of the things that excites me about doing this show in particular, and I don't know how you feel, is we often, you know, do spotlights on bands that, you know, people know a little bit about or are fit into the kind of like the lexicon of like, you know, bands that are talked about. And I feel like Afalamia for some of our listeners out there is going to be a real like, what the fuck kind of moment where... There are a lot of really people that do much. not like know about them, but yet they're a band I kind of I, I think about every so often. I'm like, man, I really you know I need to pull pull that record out and listen to it. I just picked up like the first two records, uh, Peaceful reissued on vinyl. Really? Okay. So I was like, I haven't heard this shit in a while, and I always remember like going back to these every once. You know, just it was like a curiosity. Thing. Yeah. So I was like, you know, that or like that first Therion record, which is the only one I like, The of Darkness. Like, yeah, yeah, just the weird that kind of shit. Was, I've been more drawn to that lately because I think. At first, it was hard to, like, if you, there wasn't any, like, melody or something you could grab, you kind of dismissed it. Mm-hmm. So this is, like, a record you probably had to go to a couple times to really kind of get anything out of. Yeah. And now, you know, 30-some years in, listening to this shit, 
um, it's it's just like a whole other new experience listening to even like I was listening to um, Bolt Thrower, those ones loyal. I was like, God, the bass sounds great on this. <laughs> yeah, that's a great record. And I was just like, I've like I never really picked out how good the bass playing was on it. And it's yeah. just like you, you keep the the more you come back to these things, the more you pick out like the the stuff that's just ingrained and in you just kind of like washes over, but the other stuff kind of you know has yep. a chance to shine a little bit yep. more. No, I, I agree, and that's what I mean. This is like the the well is very deep with Afalami if you mm-hmm. want to kind of go there. Um, well, and the bands that are involved with it, like you know Edge of Sandy, Dissection, Marduk, Abruptum, Von Durer. Um, War it was War, another super yeah. group. Swordmaster, yeah, got, I've got that Swordmaster. There's That's so cool. many people record. that you know are that it's they were involved in this, but they're Alflami are always like the last on the list. Maybe even maybe one above Swordmaster. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Von Duer's got a certain kind of like you know cult reputation That's as true. well. That That's true. Galactic Rock and Roll Empire record. <laughs> I know, I know. Although I would make the argument that like I I go to this rec these records a little bit more than than some of those other bands maybe not sure. Dissection or Edge of Sanity or whatever but um, yeah or even Marduk but um, it helps that their their discography is only you know four records or technically three records three records four. and a re recording yeah. yeah you do have a, a two Alicia which is I think a collection of some things I, I only one new song or something on that I can't remember what's on that yeah I never had it so I don't know a lot about it but. Um, you know, so the the record starts with kind of a an intro. It's it's kind of more of a, a sort of storytelling record. I think it's called Under Ophelamian Skies to the Benighted, and it's like a two and a half minute little intro. And I was telling Mark that it's it's a cool little like acoustic sort of riff that sort of builds into some other kind of things. And he's kind of reciting like the narration and kind of a spoken word and stuff like that. But the riff is like very reminiscent of like Spirit Crusher from Death, which. You know, like an earworm, you know, Mark and I have had this happen to us several times where we'll like pause a song and be like, what's that from? And we both like, like cannot wrap our heads around I've had it. that stay in my head for weeks. Yeah. And then it's like, oh my God, it finally comes out. Like, that's you. not even really that close, but it's, you know. It's, it's just something, something, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it reminded you of that, you know. Um, and then, so it's kind of cool for, for people that are death fans. But like I told Mark, I said, I think there's no connection whatsoever between Ch- Chuck Schuldiner no. had no idea what the fuck Ophelamia was because it does predate spirit uh spirit sure. crusher you know sometimes just those riffs they're just out there they yeah just, they just they, they, they can be found or discovered. yeah the, the collective subconscious if you will like people are kind of tapping into but, them. you know the celtic frost riff that ended up the like that you know shows up in napalm and you know almost which is obviously taken sure from them but also that was just kind of like a simplified heavy metal riff yeah. that anybody could play well i've told you the story right the yeah. band grand corcoon and i like we just did like we just were writing like whatever fucking around and Jeff just started playing the triumph of death riff, but we had never heard triumph of death in our lives. Yeah. It's, and it it's was a, like a year later we were like, Holy shit. It was a hellhammer riff. It's a chord progression. Yeah. That is easy to, to, to perform. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you just kind of stumbled in it. We weren't trying yeah. to plagiarize. It just kind of like happened, you know? So, yeah, I mean, sure. You never heard hellhammer at that point. Yeah. Either, I so. don't think so. Um, Trying to think when we got a hold Recovered, of that maybe. dwell dwell records in memory of Celtic Frost sort of thing. I okay, think that yeah. came, I think that's when we heard Triumph of Death and we're like, what the fuck? Yeah, I think it was that uh, that girl sludge band thirteen did Triumph of Death okay. at the end. Yeah, you know, right before Ember did uh, Massacre. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that kind of a cool. You know, you had you had Opeth, you had Enslaved, you had some weird things kind of happening on that record. Yeah, that was the one I was I was supposed to do the logo for that. Oh, really? Yeah, and I did it, and then the one they ended up using was close, but somebody else did it. Oh shit! Did you? I, was that just freelance through Dwell, or was that through your relapse kind of happenings? I don't even remember now, to huh. be honest. Interesting. I think I, I think uh, Rochelle from Century Media might have been pet something some to. Okay. Maybe I don't even. Dwell was such a sure. weird 
record label it kind of like floated around but i didn't really know what they did that much like it was mostly like uh wasn't it just mostly those tribute records it was for a while but i think they put out like a couple like like doomy things at one point but uh, I, I can't remember i don't know it was a yeah that's interesting yeah the mid, mid 90s like american metal labels like were kind of a strange kind of happening they didn't last very long no it's too it. hard to get established you know especially trying to build a roster that's we, why it's easier to like with relapse ended up just like licensing nuclear blast stuff yeah for a while i was like Do you oh, think okay. it, like pavement records in the mid 90s like was doing like a couple weird things were kind of coming out I me mean, like carbonized came out on it like a you yeah, know what I mean, it was like whatever. It was just sort of strange. They didn't never really establish. They had a good like push a, though behind that. Did stuff. they had a lot of visibility? Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's I good. think wasn't Broken Hope on that license they to might that or been. something as well. And uh, I'm trying to remember who was putting out those Broken Hope records. Pavement and Grindcore records. Yeah, I remember Grindcore records. Like uh, Cyanide, I think was on that. Oh yeah, yeah. A couple other random things. Cyanide might have been on that Celtic Frost. Thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they, they were. were. Yeah, so. But anyways, uh, back to, you know, speaking of weird record labels and avant-garde and stuff like that. We get into, uh, we're going to play a, a trio of tunes here. Uh, we'll start with the intro, the Under Afalami and Skies. And then we kind of, two epic songs, uh, about 18 minutes between these two songs. Um, Black is Sin, Pal is Death, Autumn Whispers is the first tune. And uh, I'll just kind of, I wrote wrote notes as I was listening to it, kind of like a journey from what I'm hearing from the song. And feel free to jump in. But it kind of starts with this really cool, like aching opening riff, and then it sort of mer- you know morphs into kind of more bouncing. I wrote Voivod meets Motorhead riff that that ends up coming back and ending the song at the end, so it like bookends the song. Then it's like I, I wrote a meandering mess of overachieving ideas constructed by musicians <laughs> operating at their limits because that's what it is. It's it's just it's fun. Uh, you know, it's sw- also young people not having like an actual producer to help them whittle out. Yeah, like, or, maybe don't use eight riffs on the song. Or if anything, you have a producer like Swano who's encouraging the madness because he himself thinks this way, right? Like Swano himself is like a guy that pushes the limits of what he's trying to do sometimes. You know? True, yeah. Um, which I find him to be an interesting like linkage with it. And I, I'm curious what their relationship in the studio must have been like. I don't know. I thought about reaching out to... I've, I've got his contact information, so I was thinking about reaching out to him on this. So I wasn't sure it was really what to ask. Yeah. Like, it's quick, like quickly. What do you know? Day, what do you, you remember know? about Afalamia? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so... Or just about, like, it or yeah, know, songwriting in general. Exactly. Or, like, who was writing these riffs or how was it written? Yeah. How were they constructed? You know, I got to imagine it was... I, I read, like, the dates of when the songs were, like, written and stuff like that and a lot of the ones in via dolorosa were written in like 93 94 so it wasn't yeah. like stuff they're writing in the studio it was like he's probably stuff he i imagine as as he was doing all the other stuff he was doing when he came up with a riff that didn't fit with that he just like put it into his like pile of afalamia riffs maybe i'm sure there's just tapes and tapes yeah and just whatever riffs you'd come up with because i used to, we used to do that as well with playing music we'd just record everything and then if there was something we liked, we'd write a time code mm-hmm. on you know inside the the case, you know the J card or whatever case. But well, I know like uh, the famous story, like Keith Richards and stuff like that. Like they would just be like up all night, like doing heroin and drinking in the late sixties, and they would just have like a like twenty twenty hours of like tapes. That was they, that like Exile on Main Street era? Yeah, stuff? they okay. would just have to yeah. go through all that shit and like pick out what was good and what was bad. Speaking of sweet riffs, there's a really cool psychedelic amorphous riff that sort of comes about the two thirty mark. And then this is my maybe my favorite part of the whole record, and that's why like it's it's sort of building. So that psychedelic amorphous riff at two thirty, then sort of goes into and I don't know the guitar terminology. I wrote hammer-ons, but it's these Gothenburg Dark Tranquility Eucharist like sort of hammer-ons that are just stupidly catchy. 
It's the yeah, I know you're It's like just it's and like the what the percussion's doing is he's like like it's not a straight percussion. He's like hitting while like they're doing the kind of hammer ons, and it just. I don't have the terminology or the music knowledge yeah, to be able sure. to like kind of explain it, but you'll know it when you hear it. Let me put it that way. Yeah. It's it's kind of unmissable. Um, and, and the whole song is really just a spoil of riches. There's just all this kind of crazy shit sort of going on. Um, it's almost like a like a poor man's slow down arpeggio or something. Yeah, that's like maybe a, what that that might be what what it is. Almost I just, like catatonia ish kind of for sure. Yeah, and, and again, being like a brave murder day guy, I'm like drawn. I don't know. To the, that. I'm just guessing on the you know the yeah the, the technical term is, but. I mean, it's it's sort of like you know you hear the, the, one of the other things I point out, and you mentioned like um, how great the what was the record you were talking about where the bass sound was was really killer. Oh, those on soil. Yeah, the record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this song you hear Knight doing, um, which is Nodvite's brother doing really sort of sick kind of groovy bass parts, and I wrote it kind of reminds me of remember like those uh, the breakdown. I think it's the last song on Orchid where it just sort of goes into like a, like a funky kind of like bass yeah. kind of prog rock kind of thing. Yeah. That shows up in the middle of this song too. And it's just like, what the fuck are they doing? It's, it's this really is the, crazy. This is kind of the era where there was enough precedent for people to be more experimental. I for think, sure. Too. And like yeah. to be like, well, you know, it's cool to have the repulsion bass sound, but that doesn't work for everything. Yeah. 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 Like sometimes let's just like, let's, let's fill out the sound with that really, you know, heavy bottom tone. Mm-hmm. That's not so distorted. Yeah. It's almost like nobody has anything to lose. Like you're just kind of like, yeah. whatever, you know, people will buy this or people won't, but we're not like, well, there's so much, so much interest. And in, you know, this was like tape trading was kind of starting to peter out just a little bit. I mean, it was becoming, so it was, you could just get the records yeah. like easier everywhere. Now, would you say this, this is something that struck me and you're more of an expert probably on this era than, than I am. Like, I guess a couple of records that come to mind when I think of like Via Dolorosa, which by the way, we didn't mention uh, for those of you that are, are kind of history nerds, that's the name of the road that uh, Jesus walked uh, on his path Where to he carried cru- the crucifixion. crucifixion. Yeah. And Via uh, is like used uh, in Italy for road signs, the way that Rue, R-U-E is used in France for road signs or whatever. But uh, history here on yeah, the there you go. podcast. We're here. We bring it to you. Um where would you put this like next to like say dance of december souls and like those maybe those first couple like diabolical masquerades because those are also weird records that like are full of a lot of really interesting ideas and have a certain ambiance and aura to them but i almost can't attach to a lot of other swedish records that were coming out in the mid 90s is is it weird for me to think of those records when i think of like some of the stuff that's going on on i think in retrospect you you can try to make connections but i think it was just something that was happening all just over. A kind of happy accidents and stuff yeah, like and that there's so many like the the interest was there for you know for people to put out side projects yeah you know it wasn't like quite so hard to put out a record like it's like oh you're the guy from this like i don't you can't put out this record but you know here's my solo thing like sure that stuff was seemed like it was popping up a lot more than i guess like with diabolical masquerade which would be a a fun show to do down the road there's like so many ideas that he's like kitchen sinking sometimes yeah you know kind of like afalamia where you're like whoa what's yeah (laughs) trying to figure out what you should grab onto where it's coming from you know yeah he's Um, a he's an interesting guy for sure to be able to compartmentalize you know bloodbath and catatonia and you know not so much diabolical masquerade anymore anymore, yeah but at a certain but to have that many like this, you know, wealth of riches of sure. riffs and stuff is kind of insane to me. But I mean, those later Diabolical Masquerades he was doing as Catatonia was kind of moving more into the sort of melodic phase of their career, like when Jonas started singing and you know what I mean? So it was like, yeah, 
he's like definitely like exercising certain like creative ideas that he can't like execute through catatonia sure so and that's also when catatonia was starting to be more samey yes they had that incredible era of like just weird experimentation where they're operating on the you know the skirts of their ability or whatever but now for jesus since almost the last 20 years they kind of sound the same yeah they kind of have their their aesthetic and stuff like that they've I think on the last few records, they've gotten a little bit more. Um, uh, Prague's not the right word because it's not Prague, but there, there's a certain um, there's a certain quality on the last couple of records that the like Night it, is the New Day is the one where they kind of peaked for me, and I was kind of okay. bored since then. I, uh, I I've gone back to those newer Catatonias based on some like other people kind of talking really highly of them, and uh, I get I start to get a little bit more juice out of the squeeze now. Um, yeah. They're not immediate. Like when I used to get a Catatonia record, it would be like my favorite record instantly. Yep. You know, like I'd be like, holy shit, I got to listen to this a million times. And those records, um, I don't know, maybe it's just the era. Maybe it's because I'm not listening to the same record as much as I used to. Like I'll buy a record, listen to it, and it gets filed because I'm living a busy life, not like in college where you really sure. had time to, to spend with that stuff. But I think there's, you know, they're worth going back to a few more times and, and maybe seeing. Uh, you I know. think Last Fear Deal was kind of the, that was it. That, I mean, that was like the, they could have ended right there and that would have been a great. Although I do love Eve Emptiness, you know, so. Yeah, it's just the, the I guess we're, we're so used to these like huge jumps. Yeah, that's true. Like these big leaps in style and ability album yeah. to album. Yeah, that's true. And you get the, finally got like a really good rhythm section. Yeah, for <laughs> Instead sure. Instead of, I mean, the charm of, you know, Jonas's drums at yeah, first yeah. was good, but yeah. having his, a solid his, guy. His double was, bass drum that was yeah. off key a little bit. Um. So then we uh, we'll end this set with another one of their epic songs. Um, this is via the title track "Via Dolorosa" slash "My Spring Night Sacrifice," and it's one of the several uh, ten minute plus songs on the record. And you get a, a cool like finished prog riff that opens the song. You get a lot of like kind of opeth kind of stuff happening uh, before like a really a, a great Bathory riff starts to take over. There's a lot of like prog stop start riffs that you could kind of get thrown in. And then this is, and I wrote, I said, then, like a Eucharist song from the War Comp, the 250 mark hits, with a contemplative riff that just aches and destroys for about 25 seconds. Just out of nowhere comes this, like, incredible, do you know what I'm talking about? That, that, those two Eucharist songs on War Comp, how they're, there's something about those two songs, and Wounded and Alone and Predictable End, I think, or not Predictable End, that's a ceremonial, um, Whatever the other, yeah, I know that's your. You know what I'm talking about, like where those songs seem to be like this peak of songwriting, like like Eucharist jump from their debut to those two songs, and you're like, yeah, holy fuck, you know, there's a really weird guitar tone to that. It's as contemplative. Well. It's it yeah. seems very like um, I don't know. There's something about it that's like mystical about those two songs. I know we talked about it when we did the Eucharist show, but um, anyways, it's there. If if you like that stuff, you'll you'll definitely like it. And then. I wrote, wait for a tripped out Dark Tranquility gallery riffs to start to emerge in the song too. I just said, it's just a really fucking crazy journey, this whole song, you know, like, and you get that with these, these epic tunes. So, all right. So we've got, uh, under the Aflamian skies to the benighted, uh, which then flows into black as sin, Pala's death slash autumn whispers. And then we'll end with the epic via Dolorosa slash my night spring nights sacrifice.
last thing is the rain that from the sky falls. Gray and cold is the gloomy of the Lamian sky. It's under that majestic sky I am ready to die.
That was Via Dolorosa, My Spring Night Sacrifice, Black as Sin, Pale as Death, Autumn Whispers, and then we start it with Under Afalamian Skies to the Benighted, which is interesting, uh, the mention of Under Afalamian Skies, because there aren't a lot of interviews, Mark, on, uh, you know, with it or with Afalamia directly, um, but there was an interview that I sort of found in searching where he was asked, um, I believe I'm doing the math. I think it would be in uh, 2011 uh, because the the person asks that he says, hey, you know, um, Afalamia, uh, 20 years ago, you did the first demos and it's been 13 years since the last officially released recording. Do you have uh, an amount of ideas for anything more basically with Afalamia or is this chapter absolutely closed is what they asked it. And he says, has it always been intended to end after the third album from the start? And here's what its response was. And uh, (laughs) you can throw in your own uh, inner monologue after this if you want. He says, as I once, oops, where are we at? Oh, as I once stated, to live and to die under Afalamian skies, songs we just heard. He says, that's the place where I belong. The one place which binds me to its inner source of pure and true energy. Here on this very material plane, I am all but lost, ceaselessly to wonder about my senses of any meaningful bearings. Afalamia is a metaphor for the place that is in, ter- is in truth my real home. It's like some James Cameron shit for Avatar. Like those yeah. people that are starting to lose their minds after Avatar came out looking for the true, yeah. <laughs> the true place yeah, or in like the world. The, like people that really believe the Matrix and are trying to yeah. you know snap free from it. And here, if it didn't get strange, here's, he goes, I've crash landed on alien soil here and shall thus in this existence be an intruder and outsider to the failing race of homo sapiens. There shall never be any understanding here. The source of ideas for any further journeys are drawn from a well that has no bottom, no end. I could conjure forth ongoing works on the path of the perpetual wanderer without any hesitations or troubles. Just like the skies of Afalami are endless, so is the pool for its inspiration. There was no intent to make the fifth album, uh, count them again, he says, uh, the last one, not until we actually had come almost through with most of the work, and I ended up being fed up with myself and the scene. You do realize that from my words, the, that from my words in the outro on Dominion. So basically saying there's no more Othalamias. <laughs> and and obviously there wouldn't be now because it passed away two years ago or a year and a half ago. But it sounds like Scientology. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sounds, it sounds like, self-helpy. Yeah, it sounds Anthony very, uh, kinda... yeah, it's, it's a weird, weird thing kind of going on there. So um, I just, like I said, I thought it was interesting just to get kind of into the state of mind of what, what it's kind of thinking about. Um, and it's interesting because as he sort of kind of comes off the rails a little bit more, you know, there's a there's a two year break here. They re-record um, a journey into darkness. Um, you get Dominion, and Dominion is strange in that um, you know all comes back on vocals, which we mentioned before that he was there for a long journey, the re-recording. Uh, you he's get, probably my favorite vocalist of the whole. He's he's. Pretty, I used to not really like care about him that much, but I I really like his voice a lot. Yeah, um, and it's Thanks interesting, Jim Berger. Yeah, yeah, Jim Berger. Um, you know, because I mean, you go, you look at where like John Nodvite's uh, vocals on the very first Afalamia, all the way to you know through Legion and then through All, and it's 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 a cool transition, yeah. you know. Um, and it's it's cool that you got these three like sort of epic vocals. And speaking of dissection, um, dissection at this point is essentially splitting up um, mm-hmm. or has split up. I think Nodvite's in prison by this point for sure, right? By ninety eight. 
I'm almost positive. I don't the timeline, but I yeah, think he was. Probably. So Oli leaves, mm-hmm. um, and he joins on drums as Bone, as you said. And now they've moved to a new studio, and you get a different sound uh, than what you got with Unisound and with Swano. You go to uh, Abyss Studios with Peter Tatgreen from Hypocrisy, um, and you get whenever you record at Abyss Studios, you're, you're inevitably going to get. Um, I don't know a crunch. I guess there's a, there's compression. a compression. Yeah, there's definitely a compression kind of sound. Fenris would hate it. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> not the uh, organic '80s kind of metal sort of sound. It's definitely um, it's a sound that it was it was of its time. Mm-hmm. It was like a like a crunchier Colin Richardson yeah kind of sound, like less full. There was there always seemed to be less like low end. Okay. And less depth to Abyss stuff, to my ear. You could hear that. Yeah, yeah. I could say that. And I'm not to say I'm not bashing Abyss because there are records that come out of that that I love, but... The hypocrisy stuff sounds great. That Don Slaughter son is fucking masterful. You that know what I mean? doesn't sound like anything yeah, else I mean, that's on the label. There's things that sort of... That, yeah. And I, I think uh, I think this song, this album sounds phenomenal for whatever it is. It's, it's, it's not anything like Via Dolorosa. You know, you yeah. could almost argue that they're like... Outside of a couple like weird moments, like they're almost like a completely different band at this point. It's the most conventional record they did. Yeah. But there's aspects of it that work really, really well. Like this record is is so well done. It's it's the most accessible of all the Afalamias, like you said, conventional. Um you know, it's like when we get to the title track, all right, I, I was thinking about this. Like, do you have songs where you get excited? to play them for people that have never heard them knowing that like oh wait you've never heard brave murder day before or you've never heard gothic from paradise lost yeah this is one of those songs um where when i you know i forget how good the title track is and really the whole record is 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 great songwriting it's it's a little more you know simplified and stuff than what you heard on via dolorosa but you know you've got a guy from dissection now you know part of the rhythm section you've got the brother uh of nodvite on bass you know it's writing really sort of standard kind of uh great kind of gothenburgy sabbath riffs and stuff like that there's more restrained yeah yeah i mean he's he's like limiting his it's like self editing more i think yeah which is cool yeah it's good to hear at least one album that's like that you know for as interesting as those first two are um, it's cool to hear uh, him be able to execute some ideas without so much meandering, and and you get some like actual songs on this record, you know. Whereas you said before, you don't really think of Via Dolorosa as like songs; it's just like one thing moving to another thing, you know. Yeah, like Dominion itself, the song, or like Final Hour of Joy, or you know some of these other songs. There, you could put them out as like singles, you know, sure. almost. Um, I, I kind of think of like. Oh, and I think, was this Abyss Studios? Was Immortal at the Heart of Winter? Mm-hmm. That's Abyss. Yeah. yeah. I think of this in that same light. Like, when you heard At the Heart of Winter, it, it took a lot of the chaos out of the, the Immortals, and it streamlined it in a way where it made it a little bit more digestible, but it still is like a very um, real Immortal record. It's mm-hmm. it's not it's not selling out, but yet it's like it's it's like editing its ideas a little bit to make these song structures that you're are catchy yeah that just they they work on like a different level than say battles of the north worked you know sure. battles of the north has its own appeal in terms of the chaos that it's sort of bringing 
but something about at the heart of winter has this warmth to it that it's also you're bringing a different guitar player that's true yeah uh, I, I think um demon has is still credited with writing mm-hmm. some of the stuff but still his like a bass approach to playing is totally different yeah it's not as chaotic it's more conventional uh more power chordy sure that was just like yeah that's one of those abyss studio records that actually sounds and still it sounds fantastic yeah. i listened to it like a yep. week or so ago final chapter from hypocrisy i mean i think you yeah. know i think i know what you're saying that there, there was, was that era when they hit the glut of, it seems like it was everything was pre-programmed like come on in yep. and we'll knock yep. it out i but. agree and i i think you could see that you could see that with any great studio you know look at some of like the the later more sound stuff where it was like almost like Oh, you want the Florida death metal sound? Here it is. You yeah. know, like autopilot. The interesting stuff is yeah. when they when the bands were so out there that, that the producers like were trying to get the essence of that band. Yeah. And then people started saying, I want to sound like that. I was like, okay, come on in. Well, it's already we punch in the monstrosity sound, you'll sound just like it. exactly. Great. Yeah. And I remember it might have been Bloodfire Death I was reading about this where they were a lot of the black metal bands were very trying consciously to go record at a studio where no one maybe it was in decibel i don't know where i was reading it but um where they were consciously trying to go to a studio with a guy that had no knowledge of how to record metal because they said that more interesting stuff comes out of that i think that was that blood was that blood for your death yeah i, I don't so. i don't remember what record they were referencing i don't uh, remember either it, but, but that sounds real familiar yeah because like oh that's a cool idea and that's like uh enslaved i think did that on eld and um yeah, the one guy he didn't like the drums in that record. I love are so how fucking great. I love how that sounds. Yeah, um, and the other um, the immortal Blizzard Beast sounds so fucking weird. It is weird. It, yep. It's not. Good, I remember when you but turned me onto that record and finally got me to understand Blizzard Beast, and I was like, okay, I can kind of like start to pull some shit out. But of it this. sounds like you're fucking like you're in a goddamn tornado. Yeah, it's like com- it's so it's bizarre. not compressed, but it's like it's, it feels like everything has like a like a flanger on it. Yeah, or something. Yeah. The good like the guitar tone is weird. <laughs> The drums sound like you're like you hear hearing a guy outside play or something. Yeah, but there's a charm to it for sure. It's which, different. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. different. Yep. And and so, um, you know, again, you get you get a lot of the Swedish melodic black metal kind of sound on this. You get a lot more kind of Nagelfar, unanimated, um, Sacramentum. You know, obviously, dissection's always going to be in the air. It's it's natural. Yeah. Um, some of the things Oli does, I noticed it, uh, it might be on the title track, or maybe it was in the uh, Greater the Deeds of Death song that we're going to play. He does this thing, and you heard it on Storm of Light's Bane, when he would do drum fills, he hits this one drum that I only hear him hit. And it's like, it's like not a rototom, I don't know, you know drums better than me, but it's like that, like that weird... He he does it in. Um, that could be a rotot- rototoms. Are there these tiny little toms that doesn't have a resonant okay. head on the back? It's weird, and I don't yeah. hear a lot of drummers using it. But he seems to like go to it sometimes. And, and usually, I, yeah, when you hit the, at least when I've seen people play them, I've never actually played on a rototom. It's like a hollow sound. Or it's something. a hollow sound, yeah. but I think he has three of those together, and you hit them. He seems to do like triplets on <laughs> in <laughs> each one. Yeah, yeah. I, I that can, totally sounds like I can a hear the drum fill on Storm of Light's Bane. Like he does it in this one. Well, like uh, on Marduk, um, when we were gathered. Uh, oh, Heaven Show Burn. Heaven Show yeah. Burn. That's got a very distinct Rotatom sound. Okay. To okay. The, to the yeah. Yeah. So you hear it not as like forcefully uh, because this record's not as fast as Dissection, uh, but it you can kind of hear Oli. He, it's definitely in his wheelhouse, you yeah. know, that he, he kind of yeah. leans on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, lyrically, it's interesting. It's about Macbeth uh, from Shakespeare. Although the last song on the record, which is like this kind of um, 
atmospheric sort of ambient song uh, that it makes reference to mm-hmm. is sort of the goodbye song. I forget what it's called. You Legacy the, of the True. Yeah, and then some of the Sounds lyrics. Like Man of War song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Hammerfall. Yeah, Legacy of the King. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like like the the end of Afalami, and I think he kind of intended it maybe to, to sort of be that you know in a way um, both lyrically and, and things I mean like thematically that. you can these all kind of make sense if you think about it is you know the the entrance to the the epic whatever the you know epic story is this first one where you don't trying to find your feet yeah the chaotic second chapter For and sure. then the triumphant the triumphant you know, yeah you know like he I figured things out like the you, ending with a song like Dominion. Yeah, it's pretty much okay. Like this marching is off with your yeah, you know, it's it's like horse. the most triumphant. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it in the the last set. But You've conquered wanna, the realm. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. definitely a, a, a go to battle kind of song. You know, you know, you get the the song that sort of starts Dominion off. The whole thing is called Alicia's mistresses gather. Um, mistresses gather, and again, Alicia is the 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 goddess the demoness uh kind of thing from Afalamia that created yeah. the world and, and things like the that. The Kali creator destroyer kind of Yeah, character. exactly. Yeah, it's very uh Hindu kind of thing going on there. Um and you hear like, you know, it's just like a again kind of like the under Afalamian skies, it's sort of this like really beautiful layered melodic kind of introduction, a lot of kind of classical sort of elements and things like that. Um I mean, it's just really really gorgeous and then uh the the second song we'll play is called final hour of joy and this is like uh, you know the, the the band that kind of stood out to me as i was kind of starting to think about dominion a little bit is sog sog was this weird group of black metal dudes that were doing like a doom metal record in norway you know and we, mm-hmm. when we did that sog you know episode it like that was the first three wasn't it, they're weird yeah the yeah. sog's just kind of like a weird band and dominion kind of has like doom metal kind of qualities mixed with some power metal aspects mixed with like a little thing you know definitely the candle mass is there yeah for but sure. like final hour joy sort of opens up with this sort of um cathedral down acid bath kind of like pocket groove kind of riff almost like what corrosion of conformity would have done like back on like blind or something like that yeah, yeah you know where it's just got that really like it's hitting that like sort of sonic kind of pocket groove that's sog does a lot you know where mm-hmm. it's like it's it's psychedelic groovy but yet like bottom heavy cathedral it's got you a know. down vibe it's very yeah. american sound for sure very it's, american it's, it's real weird you know um and then then you know like it just kind of takes like some weird left turns uh throughout the song and stuff like that you get some kind of black metal sort of elements that sort of bubble in um some prog qualities you know like at the 340 mark of uh final hour of joy you get like an opeth sort of moment you know like it's it's weird and then you you go back to like dissection watain nagelfar kind of atmosphere and stuff like that and then you get like a really kind of crazy sabbathy you know how sabbath on like um might have been like more volume four where they would hit like these almost like hippie kind of groove kind of like riffs and stuff like that that weren't so traditional doom but they kind of had this like you know kind of like a little bit around kind of thing yeah yeah yeah. yeah. it they kind of hits that a little bit so you know the the whole the whole song it's it's not as complicated as the stuff you heard on those first two records but it still does have like a a series of ideas that i think are are really kind of cool um then we get into great are the deeds of death and this is very much like nagelfar vitra sort of coming through in a lot of ways those sort of how those melodies kind of permeate through like the the black metalness of it you know unanimated does that sometimes Mm -hmm. too you know um Oli's really on point on this song um you know even all's vocals sound like Nagelfar Vitra you know like the uh who is uh forget his name um, Jens Ryden 
Is it Jens? Yeah, Jens. Yeah, he's on the first three or four of those. Yes, yes. And he, uh, why do I? He's a I, photographer now. Is he really? I, oh, okay. Yeah, I follow him on Instagram. He's he does like the Marduk, no, the sure. last uh, round of Marduk. Oh, cool. Press photos. Yeah, and I stuff. didn't know that. Was yeah. he the guy in Dead Silent Slumber? Yep, that was okay. a solo thing. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then you know, then and this is the first time it sort of really happens, but it's it's not going to be the last time because we'll talk about it in the last set. You really, about halfway through Greater the Deeds of Death, um, you get kind of a Noabum Iron Maiden kind of starting to make its appearance. And yeah. that's something we There's haven't really heard comes in a little bit. Yeah. on the other Afalamias. And it really is prominent through a lot of this record. Um, you know, at about the three minute mark, uh, up mark of Greater the Deeds of Death, it really starts to kind of like come in. And then you get like killer solos that are just like soaked in like melancholy. Like it's. It's it's still some cool stuff, even though it's not like these uh, progressive kind of rock kind of movements that you saw there. It's it's still there. So um, so let's get into a little set on Dominion. Uh, the final statement uh, from Afalamia. We've got Alicia's mistress gather. Final hour of joy and great are the deeds of death.
That was Great Are the Deeds of Death, Final Hour of Joy, and Alicia's Mistresses Gather. So before we talk about the final song, um, just wanted to kind of do our rounds. This is the first uh, new show that we've recorded in a while because obviously people have, will have just heard like the gathering oh. stuff that we did a, a while back with Chris um, that we've kind of been sitting on waiting for the, the countdown to sort of finish. Well, and- what, that was the last episode we put up. After the the countdown was um, well, we finally put up the Peter finally Green. put up the Peter Greens and okay. the Allman Brothers records that our patrons had access to for the last several months, uh, so that everyone could kind of hear them. Uh, I got some good response from already from Peter Green from kind of the the, the outward public and stuff like that. Nice. Um, do you want a little different? But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of fun. Uh, I mean, if you look at, I mean, there's definitely the roots of of that blues rock stuff in metal. Obviously, Green Man Alishi, you know, with Judas Priest and some of that kind of stuff. Even if um, there's not. A ton of links. It's just an interesting story, I, I, and interesting, I think interesting hearing Mike's, you know, his I, perspective I was, on yeah, stuff. Yeah, see, like he's he's about what fifteen years older than us. Yeah, at least. Yeah, I think he's as old as my mom. So, okay, so he 20. like him come on. He kind of came in at that you know MC Five Stooges Radio Birdman kind of era when rock and roll is like re-energized and reinterested. So sure. I, I, there's like a weird kind of parallel between where he came in and where we came into. You know, we I think we feel as strongly about the era mm-hmm. we came in yeah absolutely you know, so it's absolutely. nice to hear his uh retrospect a lot of this and stuff. actually we plan uh soon to to get together with mike he wants to do some a uh, couple of other interesting shows uh one it's a it's a genre we haven't yet ventured into that uh people have asked for actually uh, yeah. for years but you know we'll keep that kind of under lock and key for now but, figured out if you try hard <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah there's not many genres we haven't tapped into it's probably you know down to like hip-hop and country and a few few others but yeah uh, we do have a new patron, Ulf Anderson. Uh, very, you know, appropriate Swedish name for uh, Afalamia, a Swedish. Uh, you know, we we tend to tease ourselves of doing a lot of Swedish. I don't. I, I don't know if anybody's gone through and seen how many Swedish related podcasts we've yeah, done in, a lot. in the entirety of it, but it's got to be at least a third, probably. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's where we go. Yeah. You know, Wagner uh, on Radical Research jokes that they're always talking about like uh, either Voivod or like weird um, Norwegian experimental black metal. That's yeah. like their their thing that they he, they tease themselves about that they just they're like magnets drawn to it all the time. You got you got your. Uh, you know, We're definitely your drawn st- to Sweden a little bit, you know. So that was zone. it was nice with the countdown to like kind of get away from from some of those traditional zones and, and kind of talk about some other things. But this is probably the most traditional zone, but the most like unconventional band. Yeah, that yeah. we've talked about it. In that's a while, so that's why I like one. I was kind of excited to do something that was like very left of center. You know, like mm-hmm. I kind of. Threw it out but also mark. still it felt like a warm blanket when you put it back oh out. yeah yeah i mean when i and i just kind of rediscovered well, not rediscovered but reintroduced myself to these guys this year again, yeah because so. you haven't uh you haven't owned the the cds for quite a while right no it's been a year i mean i haven't listened to any of those records in 10 or 15 really years. that's and cool listen you know got the new presentation peaceful put out got to sit there and you know look at yeah, it while yeah. it's playing it's so funny it i didn't nice. know you picked those up recently yeah. it must have been like uh, like psychic energy when i like text was you like, and uh, i was like dude i've been listening to Afalami a ton i want to do a do an Afalami a show october november or something okay I think I bought those. yeah perfect perfect uh it was funny because what what kind of got me thinking is um Jason Duza, who did a recording for us uh, for the two episode, he's the one that does, uh, one of my former students that does the, the metal podcast. It was his birthday, and so I tried to like think of like something he wouldn't know from our era that he would <laughs> kind of dig. So I shared like a couple Afalamia videos with him, and he was like, "Dude, what are you doing to me? This is gonna cost some money." Yeah, he must have looked up the prices on what these CDs cost and shit, and so just buy the records; they're cheaper. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, but and like it, Spotify, the only one they have on it is Dominion really they yeah but it. you can all the stuff you can listen to on youtube and, yeah you know, yeah for sure you can find sure. it 
Um, but yeah, so thank you, uh, Ulf Anderson, uh, our patrons. Um, if you'd like to sign up to become a patron, go to uh, patreon.com uh, backslash Requiem Metal. Um, or you can find links on our uh, website, Requiem uh, Podcast or RequiemMetal.com. Uh, where we have quite a few, we're almost, we're getting close to getting uh, all the old episodes up there. Yes, yeah, so, and we do have a search box now. I know that a lot of people have had, we've gotten lots and lots of emails about, uh, you know, this is great, but I can't, it takes forever to yeah, scroll to, back. Yeah, like scroll back and stuff like that. So now all you got to do is type into the box and it gives, like you type in Dark Throne. Anytime we mention Dark Throne, it'll pop up there oh, and you shit, can go straight cool. there. So. Yeah, I even played with that, that. It took me way too long to figure it out. It's an easier fix, but I've been inundated with other things, yeah, so it's yeah. tough. Both Mark and I are doing home construction. He's doing a lot more because he's literally living in the home construction that, that's yes. sort of happening. I'm, I'm doing it in like zones of my house where I can kind of like ignore it a little bit. But well, We're in the kitchen right now, so it's it, we're at a, a point where my wife is annoyed. Yeah, crucial. That we can't <laughs> do dishes, but I hooked up the dishwasher, so we got that going, but there's no sink. and you know, Yeah. It's a work, work in progress. Work so. in progress. I probably yeah. will never do this again. <laughs> you flip, yeah. Not I'm not living in it. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely redo another house, but not living in it. Yeah. If I, I was re- a single guy, fine. I remember my uh, aunt and uncle doing it, like the house that um, I lived on Washington Street there. They yeah. were constantly living in the chaos of their own. and It's stressful. I, I could probably make a good argument that there's a reason they're divorced now. And yeah. I think it was, they did this several times because my uncle was a carpenter and, yeah. you know, so he was like, always like, oh, we'll just flip this house. And, you know, like it was always a lot of chaos. So Go away for work. For yeah. It's probably good for your marriage to only do this one time, I imagine. So yeah, it's supposed to be one of the most, outside of getting married, having children, this is the most stress, buying a house is one of the most stressful, working on a house. It's like, yeah. Eh. Oh. It's good because I'm doing all my house stuff single. Yes. There you go. <laughs> so when, when it, if I meet someone and they move into my house, a lot of the shit. You're going to have to redo it again. Yeah, a lot of the shit will be done. <laughs> yeah, then if she wants to redo the kitchen, that's, that's you know, on her. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so speaking of technology stuff, we are now, um, if you have friends that would listen to the podcast but maybe don't use iTunes or don't use a lot of uh, traditional sort of podcasting apps, uh, we are up on Spotify now. So, um I had to talk to like six different tech people and cause I think uh talk shoes, like an old one that wasn't immediately recognized by some of like Spotify. Yeah. So we had to go through a few things, but finally like they got an RSS feed that was like doable and it's magic. I checked the stats the other day and like, we got, yeah, there's like already like 80 people that are subscribed and are oh, cool. listening. It was just so. nice. It's I'm used to that interface because I use Spotify quite yeah. a bit for yeah. going to the gym and, and, and the I car get and that. stuff. I so. get like the, the you know, like it's a really easy, a lot of people just have the Spotify app and can just stream yeah. whenever and, and stuff. And I'd, so. I'd rather have like get those kind of things that people are going to actually listen to it at because we're not, we don't make money through Spotify or yeah. anything, but it's yeah. nice to have that other, that way to. Well, and maybe people who are just discovering us on Spotify, you know, they'll kind of be like wow 200 you know they'll see like the backlog of episodes yeah. and be like this is maybe worth you know donating patron wise and stuff sure like and that, at this know? point we're actually doing we'll be every month we have a two hour plus usually uh episode up that's yeah. just for patrons that isn't going to be released that's what i'm saying anywhere yeah. else so that can be you know that's a pretty if you think about the the npr model like you know you pay five dollars every day to get a cup of coffee i was gonna say yeah if yeah. you want to spend two bucks know, a month ten bucks something a month, like that five cool. bucks a month yeah exactly um, that's two 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 trips through uh the drive-through for a coffee or something like that you know yeah. i don't think it's i think it's worth it um i think what, it's a pretty good value add i think yeah. if you like the content already and you know especially, you can afford it especially what we've shown the amount of research that we're we're willing to do i think with the countdown episode 200 and things like that and i guess we can kind of now talk a little bit about episode 200 that we have um hopefully you can hear it in this episode you know 
we kind of we took on a little more than we could maybe chew at first with the new mics and bringing in Skype and all these different yeah. elements. Uh, we didn't we, have really time to test it out. We really should have played with it a little bit more sound yeah. quality wise. So we do appreciate your patience. I know some of you, um, you know, were probably wondering like what's going on with the the sound quality and things like that, or you know, when uh, I know one guy, you know, <laughs> it was fun. I can't remember who it was, but one guy uh, emailed me uh, on Facebook and was like, uh, "Is there any way I, when I'm working?" he's like a janitor and mm-hmm. so he has to put one earbud in he goes during the the one interview he goes i can't hear one of you guys because you had to you had to kind of uh you know i've been in that situation too where you have one out so you can hear if anybody you know comes up on you yeah, whatever, yeah, but, yeah 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 so he was like i can't hear because because it was you had to with the skype in uh it was a weird audio thing where it was splitting the audio between the two different right yeah. channels so so we apologize like this episode said. should sound significantly better to everybody i hope uh we had a noise gate that we've been messing around with to try to like background noise can it was sometimes like flanging the yeah especially my voice i noticed was like kind of going you've got a like more a dynamic of, uh, my, i have more of a lower register voice you're, you have more dynamic uh variability to so your voice fucking everything up <laughs> no so it's just it's tougher that thing was like attacking you and like leave me alone yeah mine yeah. was an easy signal to deal with just but you had brrr. some peaks and valleys so yep yep but so. this should be we we turn i turned it down to the lowest so setting think, which seems to be okay I think we got it figured out you know so we were so pumped to get those new mics and then all of a sudden we we're like oh shit what did we yeah. just do you know oh, so there's a learning curve to all of it so For appreciate sure. your patience but uh yeah and again with the skype and things like that some of the sound quality interviews we're, we're going to play around with that a little bit if we do have guests come in and, and stuff like that so but again we do appreciate like kind of everything uh that, that people have done with patron uh you can check us out on facebook uh, mark and jason uh or jason and mark uh podcast uh at uh, Requiem Podcast or uh, at Podcast Requiem on on uh, Twitter. Um, I've also finally updated the History Heavy Metal Countdown is up to date finally. So if you don't really like scrolling through Facebook, um, which I get nowadays, um, it's kind of a wasteland. <laughs> but if you just like that page, uh, you'll get the updates. I think automatically, um, and you okay. can just or you could just go right to that page if you just sort of look at it, and you can kind of see like the last several days worth of of new music. I think right now. Probably by the time this episode's released, we'll be a little bit later into the 80s, but we're kind of, uh, you know, just past the mid-80s, which is, you know, a cool point. There's a, a glut of cool things starting to happen there. So if you're kind of interested in kind of keeping up with that countdown, that's that's kind of a cool thing. And then last but not least, uh, I, I don't know if I sent it to you, but somebody the other day sent me a picture of them wearing uh, one of our Requiem shirts. Uh, Chris True, one of our oh, old yeah. uh, buddies. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Instagram. Yep. And so, if you're but interested, the in shirt looks nice. Yeah, I've yeah. got that same red one. Uh, it's a nice, nice shirt. So Making some eggs. I've worn it. Um, I've worn it to school a few times. as kind of like propaganda <laughs> and, and things. But uh, yeah, you can find all those links on the website uh, to get merch. And also, I know Mark, you're selling and getting rid of a lot of artwork as well. So, yeah. Any if anybody has any interest in. I mean, if you just go to, I think you can go to my Facebook page. I'll I'll put the stuff somewhere else too. But there's also a link to it on the on the website too right there's a uh, this for the store stuff most of the stuff oh. i haven't put in the store because okay. just the time got it and this um but i've gone through my flat files and like gone back to 2011 to put up all the stuff i've done decibel metal hammer band stuff t-shirt designs um, all kinds of metal related crap if there's anything you saw that you liked at some point you probably shoot haven't. me an email and i'll yeah. see if i've got it and flip yeah. something out so yeah for sure uh because that's that's i have some of mark's artwork framed on the walls and stuff like that it's just cool you know yeah. it's just well, somebody it. got a hold of me that really liked the portal piece i did in 2011 and asked if i still had it that's an like, odd one that was the one i thought i'd never sell it's the, yeah the curator in, in like an old man's lawn while he's watering yeah. it <laughs> it's like okay here that's you go funny. 
<laughs> it's boxed up right over there. Yeah. Right cool. Out. That's good to hear. Um, but yeah, we're, we're always, you know, like I said, I think we're, uh, you know, suffering for your, your metal, uh, you know, love and stuff like that. And so we, we appreciate it when you guys do support us. And like I said, we're trying to give back now with the patron, uh, episodes, which at this point, by the time you hear this, you probably will have a, a few of those, uh, those of you who are patrons in your, uh, your wheelhouse. Um, so we're going to end with the title track and this is, um, you know, a song like I, I was kind of mentioning before that I get excited when I get to play this song for people for the first time, especially if they only knew like um, like a Via Dolorosa song, which I believe there was a Via Dolorosa song on the Firestarter comp, wasn't there? On that Century Media, I never that had Firestarter that. camp. Okay, I think there was one. You know, I don't know was how that when they were starting to there. do Century Black and all. It that Might stuff? have been, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess the question that you should ask uh, that I ask when I before I play uh, Dominion is, can you have an Iron Maiden epic? Uh, Iron Maiden-esque epic power metal mixed with dissection, melodic dissonance, and Bathory? Because if so, if the answer is yes, then this is the song. Um, It's got all of that sort of happening. You know, um, I wrote, between the galloping glory hole riff, the minor chordish Brave Murder Day soloing um, that sort of teams up uh, into a dissection clean solo before then going back into, like, unanimated territory. I mean, it's just like, it hits on all of it. And then not to disconnect itself too far from kind of those like doomy sort of Sabbath riffs at the very end, the song just takes this like kind of just meanders for the last 40 seconds into like, just kind of like a slowed down, like kind of doom groove riff just, and just ends. That brings back kind of like some of the, the weirdness of Via Doloroso kind of like, bookends the whole thing together. I know because it's because it's so straightforward it's so dynamic it's so epic like everything it's like galloping into battle like you said it's their their kind of final statement and then it just kind of has this little coda at the very end that's like yeah just kind of a little soulful like you know doomy sabbath riffing and stuff like that but uh we really do hope you enjoyed uh you know the the walk into Afalamia because they are kind of a weird uh niche band that a lot of people maybe don't know too much about um if you are they don't hear uh, talked about very often though. yeah exactly i don't think they're they're off a lot of people's radar screens so shoot us an email at requiempodcast at gmail.com if you have some comments always leave us comments on facebook you can uh you know write us there um you can iTunes. leave comments on the website as well on requiemmetal.com oh do we have like a little there's a contact thing on there but you can also oh. comment on any of the uh any of the posts we have there oh as that's well. cool yeah, yeah i didn't know that that's that's a, kind of a fun thing yeah i mean even i've even created a uh a facebook page for the patrons to to comment on and stuff and i put up some surveys for ideas and, and things like that that they're interested in so but uh yeah enjoy dominion from uh dominion uh from afalamia from 1998 uh and i am jason and i'm mark <laughs>